The Guardian. Back in August, the Health Protection Agency released statistics showing that sexually transmitted infections were at record levels in young people. While this was roundly reported in the media, the reasons for the high numbers were not really explored in much detail. I'm Rosie Swash, and in this week's Focus podcast, I'm going to speak to sexual health workers, teachers, politicians, and young people themselves to find out why the numbers are so high and what needs to be done to get them down. But before that, let's have a reminder of what the Health Protection Agency's findings were. Sexual health clinics reported 482,700 new cases of STIs in 2009, which is an increase of around 12,000 on the previous year. Two-thirds of the STI cases were in females aged 15 to 24. The peak age for a sexually transmitted infection is 19 to 20 for women, and 20 to 23 for men. 10% of the 15 to 24 year olds treated for a sexually transmitted infection will be reinfected within a year. Some pretty grim statistics there. When I was younger, growing up in North London, I visited the Brook Clinic in Euston for advice on sexual matters and I always found them to be really helpful. Brook is the country's largest young people's sexual health charity and this seems a good a place as any to begin my journey. So I'm back here again at the Euston branch. I've arranged to see Gillian Van Hegen, a nurse at the clinic. So let's go inside and find out what she thinks about these record statistics. Hello, Dr Van Hegen. Yes, I'm Gillian Van Hegen. I'm Rosie from The Guardian. How do you do? Okay. How long have you been uh, doing what you do? <laughs> uh, probably slightly more than 20 years. And have you noticed any general change in attitude in the young people that come here? Do you notice they're more open to it? I would say that for all the education that's been attempted and so on, um, still the girls are very vulnerable when it comes to sexual situations. And although they're encouraged to uh, protect themselves, to only have sex when they want to have sex, that's not entirely what's happening. Could you give me an example of the kind of thing, the kind of story that you would hear from the average 17-year-old girl or 16-year-old girl who would come here for a screening as to, as to perhaps why she, she's in the situation she's in? I think the ones that I find uh, probably the most disturbing are the ones who come in who really are not quite sure what happened. Maybe they'd had a few drinks at a party or a club and they wake up in the morning and they're aware that they have had sex but they don't know who it's been with or possibly how many people it's been with. And so they are quite frightened at that moment and they need to have screening. They're the other young women who are in what they see as maybe a stable, steady relationship and then find that they're being two-timed. Somebody's told them that they've seen their boyfriend with somebody else and they, of course, are angry, upset and anxious. There are uh, the very, what I would call, very innocent sort of girls who come in who've maybe had sex just once the first time 
And uh, when I say, well, why didn't you protect yourself because you know about infections and the risk of pregnancy and so on? And they'll say, well, um, I didn't actually have any condoms with me. So I'll say, well, what about the person you were having sex with? And they go, well, I didn't know him well enough to ask him if he had a condom. And you think, well, why are you having sex with him in the first place? Yeah. There's plenty of social reasons as to why women are more vulnerable. Are there medical reasons? There are no real medical reasons, no. I mean, chlamydia is an infection that sits around the neck of the womb and it's um, easily caught. It's uh, more contagious, in fact, than HIV. What about other STIs? It's about equal in men and women. Um, If somebody has sex with an infected partner, they're as likely to catch it as anyone of the other sex. It's it's equal in both sexes. What's the ratio of the young men and women that come in here? We're seeing about 10% of the clients that we see at the moment are young men, mostly under the age of 20. And why do you think that is? I think that young women have more of um, a purpose in coming into a clinic because they can come in to ask uh, for something directly. They can come in because they've got a problem with their period or because they've got a discharge or because they've got a reason. I'm now at Brooke headquarters in North London. I'm here with Deputy National Director of Brooke, Jules Hillier. Hello, Jules. Hi. One of the reasons that we're making this programme is the uh, HPA figures that were recently released that appear to show record levels of SCIs in young people and particularly in young women. Um, What's your theory as to why we're seeing these statistics now? Well, I think there are a couple of things. It is always worth bearing in mind that this is these are the people that we're testing. You know, we, we are testing more and more young people and therefore we will discover more and more um, infections in young people. Um, and you have to test in order to understand the, the breadth of the problem and to, to solve it. So one of the things is that we test more. Um, but I think there is also still... Um, a a problem in um, supporting young people, making sure that young people um, carry through what they um, begin to learn about safer sex and um, using condoms and so on into actually using them when it comes to um, that final moment when they have to do it. And this goes back to um, the problem of sex and relationships education being too biological. So they may know intellectually that a condom is what would protect them against STIs, but what they're not necessarily equipped with Um, are the negotiating skills and the communication skills to make sure that when it comes to that moment when they have to discuss with their partner whether or not they're going to use a condom, um, that they're not well enough equipped then. What is your ideal for how sex education should exist in this country and, and what is it like now? Well, at the moment, it's too little, too late and too biological. It's all tied up in um, methods of contraception and fallopian tubes. And that's, you know, and that's, that's really the limit of it. And sex and relationships education, good quality sex and relationships education, starts really early with talking to children about um, relationships about how they form friendships and what boundaries look like and how they make sure they're safe in their friendships. And, you know, you, you bring in other relationships. It's, it's about um, not getting hung up on the sex part of sex and relationships. It's about 
getting hung up on the relationships part of sex and relationships and you start that very young you know when children are um, first in primary school and in fact before at home you know you do a lot of that work um, and you make it age appropriate of course and this is not about you know talking to five-year-olds about how to have sex which is how it's always perceived um, it's about talking to children throughout their lives about how to have safe healthy happy relationships so is sex education really that bad I remember at my primary school we had a pretty progressive teacher in the final year who obviously took it upon herself to teach kids about to go to secondary school a little bit about what they could expect and in the process made it seem like discussing sex was a very normal thing to do. Then we got to secondary school and my sex education was virtually non-existent. From what Jules was saying, it doesn't seem like things have improved too much. I'm here with India and Jessica, two 17-year-olds who are currently studying at Sixth Form College. Girls, how do you feel about the standard of sex education you received at school? Um, at my secondary school we had like sex education about once a year, literally. Um, someone would come in from Brooks and speak to us for about an hour and leave with some leaflets. And that no, teach. What, what about the teacher's involvement? Um, teachers would just sit at the side and tell you to stop laughing, basically. <laughs> the most interesting lesson we ever had was when they brought in like a baby sack so you could put it on and feel like how heavy it was to be pregnant and that was it. Jessica, what about you? Yeah, I agree. The um, sex education we had was not very good at my school as well. We um, barely had any sex education and when it was, it was a nurse that came in and she brought a demonstrator and condoms and all of that mm -hmm. and talking about pregnancy and what you can do if you get pregnant. But um, like the things we didn't really learn about was STIs. Like we learned that there are STIs and their names, and then they spoke about symptoms. But it wasn't in a way that you remember it. It was one session. And another aspect of sex education that Brooke would like to see changed, apart from the fact that it sounds like there's not enough of it, is more emphasis on relationships and how to deal with each other, and less emphasis on the biological. Do you agree with that? Yeah, they always teach about sex and complications that come with sex, but they never teach about how you're going to feel before you have sex or how you're going to feel after you have sex. Like, they don't talk about it. They just talk about, like, basically the biological things. Like, oh, you could get pregnant, you could get an STI, but they don't talk about how you might feel if you get pregnant or how you might feel if you get an STI or even how you might feel if um, you just have sex and it turns out to be a one-night stand. So they don't talk about that, which I think they should. What would happen in your school if a girl was carrying condoms? Would there be... How would she be viewed by other people? If a girl was carrying condoms, like, everyone would sneakily think, oh, she's, she's doing well, but in front of everyone say, oh, she's a hoe. Even though we all know that she's being safe, she's at least being safe, but everyone would always say, oh, like, if a condom ever was to fall out of someone's bag, it would be just the whole school would talk about it, like, oh, a condom fell out of her bag, she's a hoe. If you were to change one thing about sexual attitudes amongst your peer group what would it be would it you know you said a few times about the amount of times that girls get called hoes would it be that aspect of it that you would like to see changed um i don't know i think that people would just like talk more freely about sex like not feel so like oh my god i can't talk about sex sort of thing and um that it would be more on an equal basis for girls and boys alike and that people would just talk more about it um, I don't know if either of you in relationships you can... I was in a relationship, not anymore. How confident did you feel when you got to the point where you were, you know, you know, did you talk a lot about having sex before you did it? Did you feel comfortable talking about contraception? Did you feel like you could be the one that said, um, we should use a condom? With me, like, I'm a very confident person, so I felt okay. Like, before, like, 
it ever got to that stage we'd always talk about what would happen if we were to have sex and talk about stuff like contraception and stuff and like I would always say wear a condom like otherwise it just wouldn't happen I wouldn't feel pressured into like allowing him to not wear a condom if that made sense so if I was like wear a condom and he was like no I'd be like okay see you later then bye have a nice day <laughs> what about you Jessica um I think a lot of like she as she said she's confident I think a lot of people wouldn't do that I know um, my friends who, like, her boyfriend's like, don't you trust me, that sort of talk. And then, As in not, not wearing a condom, yeah. don't you trust me, okay. Because um, she had an implant, so he was like, you're not going to get pregnant, so obviously you think I'm cheating on you, things like that. And then she'll be like, no, I do trust you, blah, blah, blah. So then she did have sex with him unprotected and she got chlamydia. So she was just crying, like, for four days. Boy band JLS shot to stardom after reaching the final of The X Factor back in 2008. Unusually for a pop act, the band have a foundation which funds charitable causes and they have joined the fight against STIs by, wait for it, launching their own range of condoms. The Just Love Safe range comes in four different packs with Aston, Marvin, JB and Ortiz having their own colours and if you don't know who those people are, just ask your teenage daughter. So what do they hope to achieve with the range? What we want to promote is that it's it's right for girls to carry a condom just as much as it is for guys. You know, it's very, very important to not make that assumption and, you know, to have the respect for yourself. And, uh, you know, just don't be scared to, to, to carry one. It's absolutely fine and you should you should do. What it comes down to is not even carrying one, but people just being way too embarrassed to address the issue. Mm. Um, do, you, do you think there's any way of achieving that kind of change? Well, I, I think I think it's about you know encouraging the openness of the conversation about you know sexual health, um, about what it is to be safe. You know, for us, we're not trying to tell people you know do this or you know or don't do this. What we're saying is, look, sex is supposed to be fun. Do you know what I mean? It's supposed to be enjoyed, and it's not taking you know the fun element away from it. But it is it's also serious when you think about you know the risks and you know what and what you're exposing yourself to if if you're not ready or um, you don't do it in the right way. Figures like ourselves, you know, obviously, you know, we have a, a fantastic fan base and they're people who, who um, you know, listen to us, you know, or, or look to us as role models. And if we can obviously spread that message that, you know, people shouldn't feel pressured into doing something just because, you know, they're, you know, they're being pushed into doing it, you know, and that there are, there are other options people can say no, you know, and, and that they are in control as opposed to someone, you know, being in control of them. Well, we've heard a lot about sex education and sexual practices from some teenage girls. So we're here with Alec and Callum, who are both 17, to hear the male perspective. My first question to you guys is, do you feel uh, you have a comprehensive understanding of sex, of how everything works, of the relationship side of it? And if so, where, where do you get your information? Um, I think a lot of that information that like not only myself but like a lot of young people get is like from films, the internet, like you know, like a lot of like media now is quite focused on like kind of sexual health and like just sex in general and it's you know, it's like a selling point for a lot of things and stuff. But also it's like kind of just in like youth culture now, you know, to like discuss it with your friends and you know, like you know, it's you know, that typical like, stereotype of boys bragging about, you know, their weekend or whatever and so you kinda of just get like information from like your friends rather than like from anywhere else, I think. And on the flip side of that kind of male bragging, 
What is the attitude to girls? You know, if a girl carries a condom or is quite sexually assertive, is that seen as a negative thing? I think it can be in certain circles. I mean, it totally depends on who you hang out with or who your friends are and stuff. But I think probably amongst girls themselves, I would have thought it wasn't. But I think to an extent amongst boys, they'd probably slightly look down upon a girl who was more sexually active or, you know, did it regularly. It's not frowned upon, I would say, for boys, and it is more so for girls, especially at this age. What kind of role do does alcohol play in, uh, you know, you can, you can be honest about this if you're in your own social lives, and to that extent, what effect do you think it's had on... You know, we've, we've heard a lot from people about it lowering sexual inhibitions, which is just, you know, obviously true, but the negative effect that this has on teenagers who perhaps would then do stuff without using a condom. Have you heard of anything like that happening? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I've, you know, been at parties and stuff and I've, you know, heard one of my friends saying to a girl, you know, like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, you're a virgin, like, you can't get pregnant, you know, the first time, you know, because she's drunk. She's like, oh, really, you know, like, going on about it. And it's just quite, you know, I was sitting there and I just, you know, called my friend over and was like, you know, just, you know, there's no way I'm going to let you do that. You know, like, you know, I went out, like, bought him condoms, like, that. do whatever you want, just, you know, do it with that. And it's like, there is, like, a huge thing about, you know, going out to parties when you're underage anyway and, like, drinking or, you know, because a lot of, like, kids have free houses and, you know, whatever. There's, it's quite, like, a promiscuous kind of culture, like, with the underage kind of, like, yeah, kids now, so. Charlie Faux Campbell is the lead sexual health worker at City YMCA in London. She also wrote a dissertation called Putting the R in Sex RE, a study into improving sex and relationship education for young people in Islington and beyond. I want to find out what she has learned about the way boys view girls and how this impacts on female sexuality. In the research that I've done and anecdotally from young people I work with, knowing how to use a condom doesn't mean you're going to use a condom. There's so many different things at play within a relationship. Um, The way boys um, feel about girls and the way they vocalise that in a group that can make girls unwilling to use them, Um, even though they're aware of the risks. I think that's a problem. But I do think some of those, those, the the way they view women run deep, and that's, you know, what they learn from their dads or from magazines, from the media, from this society that we live in that is, you know, incredibly um, sexualised. And I think, you know, much as I feel that it's really tough for girls and they feel that they have to be a certain way and I think it's really tough for them to negotiate relationships. I also think it is equally for boys. I think they have a lot of pressure on them to be a certain way and and that's where a lot of the bravado comes from. When I was interviewing a big group of girls and I asked them, they were all over 16, so they were, they were all, most of them were sexually active. They all seemed very sensible. They all, you know, knew about contraception. A lot of them were on the pill. You know, they were good, ballsy girls. But, you know, I asked them, have any of you ever had sex when you haven't really wanted to? And every single one said yes. And it's just little things like that I find really, really worrying. We're not talking about rape. We're just talking about feeling like you have to do something that you don't really want to do. And especially within a relationship. And that that feeling of like, well, he's my boyfriend, so he's entitled to it. And that women are just kind of these passive recipients of of sex that is carried out by a boy when he wants it. So what about the role of parents? Many argue that increased sexual education at school is not the answer and it should be left to parents to tell their kids about the birds and the bees. I'm back with Jessica in India again. Do you feel that uh, any of your 
you know, informal sex education came from your parents? Do you feel like you could talk to them openly about not just sex, but all aspects of being in a relationship? Did you feel like they were supportive or, or did did they just say, I don't want you to have a boyfriend? My mum wants me to have a boyfriend when I'm like 25. So. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, all she ever says is education, then boys. Education, that was her sex, that was her like her sexual education to me finish your education and then think about boys my dad is just completely silent he he like i think he just has no, he probably knows that obviously i know about sex but he just doesn't say anything never ever had a talk even close to that so if you wanted to you know if you met a guy and you were seeing each other and you wanted to go to your dad and say look i really like this guy and I don't know how he feels about me. You know, I'm getting some laughter here. This is not a conversation that you can share. What about your mum? I think mum would be a lot more accepting than my dad because my dad would probably, like, trap me in a room. Right. <laughs> my dad, I, don't th- I don't ever see it happening with my dad, but my mum, I don't know, she'd probably be a bit more understanding. I think here there's a lot of parental fear about talking to their children about these things. And actually, when you talk to parents, most of them want to be able to, but they don't feel that they have the skills or the knowledge. So I think also quite an important piece of work to do is work with parents to show them how they can pass on that information. I mean, I did a study into parental fear for for college where I asked parents, who are mostly my friends, people my age, early 30s who had small children, I gave them a test that I give to young people about sex different things and they all did so badly and you just think you know even parents with the best intentions in the world that want to be that kind of parent that talks to their children about it they don't know themselves so they're not necessarily best placed to do that so I think if you've got a parent that doesn't really know and is uncomfortable talking about it and then you're going to a school where it's not that high on the agenda you're missing it from everywhere and the only place you're getting your sex education is from hearsay from friends and internet and porn and you know ridiculous magazines so I think it's yeah empowering parents to be able to tackle it as well I think that makes a huge difference it's not so taboo if it's talked about at home I think it makes it you know more normalized. I mentioned earlier that I'd not had a particularly good sexual education at my secondary school well while I was talking to Charlie at YMCA she actually told me that Ackland Burley where I attended is one of the better places in North London and it has a robust curriculum I also heard that my old teacher, Mr Henley, is still teaching there. So I'm going to go and see him and find out more and also speak to Meg Berry, who looks after sex education at Ackland Hi. How are you? Good God, this is weird. This is, uh, this is Rosie. Hi, this is Rosie. Oh, Hello, nice to meet you. Yeah, it's very, very strange. When's the last time you came back? Ten years ago. Oh, really? You were talking, Mr Henley, he almost called you Richard, but it doesn't feel right. Mr Henley, you were talking earlier about um, sex education has improved. Well, here at Clamberley. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, uh, I think it definitely has. Uh, there was kind of virtually no guidance or anything. And, you know, I'm a geography teacher, so <laughs> I didn't really have any training. And so we you just, were just told to do it or asked to do it? Yeah, I was asked to do it, but there weren't any schemes of work. And uh, it was very difficult to get help from outside and we kind of made it up as uh, we went along a lot of it. There was no sort of demonstration materials and things and we used to go over to the greengrocer and warn him that we were going to come over and put an order in for courgettes and that to be of a certain size and things (laughs) like that and 
and we used to go to the Roberts, the chemist on the corner, and ask him to save all the out-of-date condoms for us. And and it was uh, it, uh, and it was like that. And it and then it 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 started improving when Camden started producing schemes of work. Meg, maybe this is a better question for you, but what does sex education encompass at Ackman Burley now? At the moment, we've got um, quite a lot of sex education in the science curriculum, which is all the compulsory stuff. It's the, the mechanics of sex. Then Key Stage 3 in PSHE, we cover contraception, sexually transmitted diseases, and the emotional side of relationships, which I think is really important and can quite easily be forgotten. And you get quite a lot of people coming in from the outside. Yeah. Is that, could you explain how that works? So they come in, they might be youth workers, uh, uh, they might be uh, nurses from sexual health clinics, they might be from the Brook. I've got no credibility when it comes to sex education. <laughs> I can't think why, but I haven't. <laughs> but, uh, whereas if some sort of funky young man or woman comes in, you know, who they think is kind of a... You know, curing people of uh, chlamydia and things like that, then they got more credibility than me. So that, that's why we use them. And it's, you know, it's a nice change, and they've got credibility, and they know a lot more than we do. I can't even spell chlamydia, let alone <laughs> teach about it. I think it increases the confidence of the form tutors as well to do the follow-up lessons because it's quite a daunting thing to walk into a class of 28 kids and say, "This is condom. This is a blue plastic penis. This is what yeah. we do. This is what we do with it." Um, but I think once that they've watched their kids um, having the lesson with somebody else, it actually doesn't seem so scary anymore. But most places are not like this, and adding relationship advice to sex education remains discretional throughout the country. I contacted the Department of Education about this with reference to the record SCI levels, and I had a bid to speak to a minister declined. I was instead given this statement. As it stands, sex education is mandatory at secondary school level and must provide students with information about AIDS and HIV, STIs and the effects of drugs. Personal, social and health education is not a mandatory part of the curriculum and parents have the right to withdraw their children from any form of sex education in schools with the exception of what is taught as part of biology lessons from which a parent cannot remove their child. In the final days of the Labour government, they tried to make SRE lessons compulsory. But after negotiations with the Tories, it was taken off the Children's Schools and Families Bill to push through the rest of it. Labour MP for Rhonda in Wales, Chris Bryant, is a long-standing campaigner for better sex education. His 10-minute rule bill, proposed last month in Parliament, would bring SRE back to the education agenda and it will have a second hearing in February. So how would he assess Labour's record in this area, which saw teen pregnancies fall, but STI rates rise? I'd give us kind of two stars rather than three stars. <laughs> um, because uh, I think in the end, we still haven't improved sex and relationship education. It's right that the number of teenage pregnancies fell somewhat, in some areas more than in others. I fear that in a recession it's likely to grow. Um, but also, uh, you've got to remember that the, the number rose very dramatically under the Thatcher government and under the Tories. Some of the very interesting stuff that's been done in recent years shows that it, it's, it's completely untrue to say that girls get pregnant so as to get flats. That's just uh, the vast majority of um, teenage mums are living with their parents or their uncle or some, somebody like that. So that's not true. But what is true is that in some cases where Girls haven't felt very valued at home, not much love, and things aren't going very well at school and they're not getting much support or attention. 
um, they will opt and almost deliberately choose or be so reckless as effectively for it to have been a choice to get pregnant so that there'll be somebody in their life who will give them unconditional love. Traditionally, how would you say the Conservatives have treated sex education? I mean, is it taboo in Parliament? Is it something they don't want to discuss? Well, you know, there is a Conservative view in the country, um, which is mostly expressed by Conservative MPs with a big C, but is also expressed by by others, um, sometimes in the churches, but not always in the churches, that, you know, you, you, you shouldn't talk about sex until you're about 75 years old and, um, and, and then it should only be in the context of, you know, a happily married relationship where you've been together for 35 years or something. But, um, but I think this just, it sort of defies the facts of life and defies the way things are. Well, it remains to be seen how Chris Bryant's bill will be received in February. And while the Coalition review the curriculum, many teachers, including Meg Berry and Richard Henley at Ackland Burley, know what they will be lobbying for. My ideal would kind of encompass more money, more robust statutory scheme of work or programme of study, um, training and specialist teachers, but that really is like wishful thinking. At the very minimum, any one of those things would make massive improvements I think. Yeah I also think we need proper school nurse service which has really been cut and cut and it's basically an immunisation service now. I've had, I've had a girl come up to me probably about two or three years ago I can't remember and come up and said you know I had unprotected sex last night which you know is ugh, you know and then but then you get into this whole thing of Fraser competency you know and, and what you can actually say to that that girl she was a year 11 girl but there was no school nurse. If a school mm. nurse had been there, we could have dealt with it there and then. Now, it doesn't happen very often, but that, you know, people ought to be able to drop into the school nurse, find out about contraception, get advice, whether it's morning after contraception or, uh, you know, planned contraception beforehand. And it's just mad that there's not a school nurse in, in school. Lunacy. And away from schools, the voluntary sector is fearing the worst, especially at City YMCA, which has always had funding issues even in the best of economic times. We don't get any PCT funding here, which is a real problem. And at the moment, we're actually desperate for funding because our funding's just running out. So we've got a really small amount and we're just desperately clawing around for anything we can find. But it comes from grants and trusts because we personally don't get anything from local authority or local PCTs. And everybody seems to agree that we're a great service and we should be here. But unfortunately, it's just really hard to get the money to to keep it going and that's a real problem at the moment. In a way the recent hoo-ha about these STI rates I think was a good thing because I suddenly think well maybe now the government are going to realise that if this is all front page news again that they have to do something about it but I'm not holding my breath. I think everyone in the voluntary sector is scared at the moment. Much is made of the fact that we have the highest teenage pregnancy rate in Europe. So what are countries on the continent doing differently from us? I asked Gillian Van Hegen and Jules Hillier at Brook whether it is cultural issues that are at the heart of this. There's definitely a cultural issue in Britain. Uh, we always look at Holland, which has this really low teenage pregnancy rate, and they've had an extremely good sex and relationship education uh, policy in schools for a good number of years now. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of uh, journalists from France and Italy because they come over to make programmes about England and our high teenage pregnancy rate. And they say, from their point of view, when they see us, that they feel that it is um, a different attitude within families. 
about a young person getting pregnant. Uh, they say it's more accepted in this country, so young people are not so afraid of getting pregnant when they're teenagers. Whereas in France and Italy, it's much more frowned upon. They also think, um, looking at our teenagers, that there is a much more uncoordinated attitude to drinking, a random attitude to drinking. Whereas in the continent they feel, on the continent they feel that drinking is a much more controlled thing for young people and they don't drink to the level that our young people drink. There's a, um, a fear of, of open and grown-up discussion. Um, you know, we, we tend to, when we're talking about sex, um, we're, we're sort of giggling behind our hand, it's a little bit... Benny Hill, it's a little bit tee-hee. Um, and actually what other countries have been able to do is move on from that and have sensible debates so that, so that you know, sex and relationships is not black and white. It's not um, always possible to be very prescriptive about how a young person engages with another young person. And I think that we have been um, backwards in recognising that um, and and backwards in feeling comfortable just exploring issues with young people, having sensible um, and and intelligent conversations rather than feeling like, you know, sex is a bit smutty and a bit dirty and we've got to hide, hide behind our hands and giggle. For us to catch up with the rest of Europe, clearly we need to make drastic changes to the way we address sex, talk about sex and view sexuality. It's been a very interesting time putting this programme together. Some findings have become glaringly obvious. All the health workers, advisors and teachers we spoke with wanted to put the R in sex education, R for relationship advice. How should young men and women treat each other? What questions do they want to ask about having a relationship with someone? This is what young people are desperate to know. As we found by speaking to teenagers themselves, this unsatisfied curiosity leads them to seek advice from each other and from the internet, particularly if they don't feel they can talk to their families. We find ourselves under the governance of the coalition, headed by a Prime Minister who has made clear his feelings on the traditions of marriage and families of the nuclear variety. All the signs suggest that the progressive plans put forward by MP Chris Bryant may not be the kind of policy that the coalition warms to. I would hope that those in charge of making decisions about the future of the country would listen to the experts, people such as Charlie from the YMCA, or teachers like Mr Henley and Miss Berry about what works and what doesn't. Sadly, experience tells me not to hold my breath. You've been listening to the Focus podcast from The Guardian. I'm Rosie Swash and the producer was Peter Sale. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.